0: The scripture reading for this morning is Genesis chapter 45, verses one through 15. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard him and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive and and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry. And go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down here, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in in Egypt and of all that you have seen hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is God's word. Before I
1: go to the sermon for today, I'd like to give a brief ministry report. Judith and I live in Southeast Asia and work in the Mekong region, named after the river Mekong, starts in China, goes to the South China Sea. Our mission is to see vibrant communities of Jesus followers within the reach of every community across the Mekong region, this region has five countries where we work, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, Thailand, and Vietnam. All these countries with majority Buddhist population, we have been to all these countries more than four times. My role is to train, equip, and motivate the nationals the same culture people to see vibrant communities established and grow and multiplied in the least rich areas and to guide them strategically. In 2020 and 2021, most of the teaching was done online because of the COVID, you know that, and the people would gather in these countries and I'd be where I am. And uh, it would be a Monday to Friday, one week seminar, six hours a day online, it worked. Then in 2022, we began in-person teaching. First we went to Nepal, then we went to Laos. Judith's role in all of this, I do teaching, training, equipping, spending time with people. Judith's role is teaching women, encouraging them and mentoring, mentoring women. So this is online teaching that's in, in Laos and one-on-one. And so that's what Judith does. There are three factors that I've noticed that God has used these three things to see the church grow and multiply. First one is, you shouldn't be surprised if you have read the book of Acts, hostilities, opposition, and suffering. Somehow, wherever we have seen hostilities, opposition, and suffering go up, somehow we have seen multiple vibrant communities of Jesus followers, multiple churches start and grow and multiply. It just goes hand in hand. In Myanmar is the one classic example, the leader who started the work with me, he died of COVID. The pastor who produced most results in seeing new churches started, he died of a motorcycle accident a month before we left. And another person who went to a list area to reach Bama people, His two sons died in the first two years. And yet we have seen more churches started in Myanmar than other places. Second thing is proclamation of the word. In the book of Acts, we read about the word grew and multiplied. Extremely important that the word of God is proclaimed. And taught, there are two subjects that I find very important that my heart is, and I'm preparing lessons for these people in their context, is, who is Jesus? First about Jesus. They need to get Jesus right. And what is the Bible and how to read it? If they get these two right, in my opinion, my job is done. Pray for them, and the Lord will take over. So the proclamation of the word is very important, and third is prayers. We need your prayers. So join with us in prayers. Thank you for your love and support for us and our ministry. We came here in the middle of August this year that is completely unplanned because Jason, our son, had serious stroke on August 13th. He's doing much better now. Uh, But it will take several months before he gets back on his own two feet, literally because balance is still a challenge. He's unable to walk without a walker and the vision. So these two are challenges, Uh, pray for him. Judith and I are very grateful to you for your prayers and your help that you have extended to us. Thank you very, very much. Now to the servant, an embrace of grace. I have a dear brother in in the Lord at Parchman, Correctional facility in Mississippi, and he's in there for life. He was baptized here at First Event 2001, I believe, by Ronnie Stevens. I married him and his girlfriend at that time here in the fellowship hall. And in a most bizarre incident, he killed his mother in law. And he is serving now life, and he's been there for over 15 years. I used to visit him several times a year when we lived here. And during one of my visits with him, Ken Erickson was with me on these several trips as well. Visits with deep groan and sigh, he said to me, there is not a day, single day go by, when I do not think about the day when I pulled that trigger and killed my mother-in-law and lost everything, my family, and my freedom. He's living with this painful memory. He remembers all the good that he's lost, and he's struggling with all the bad that happened that day. What does the gospel offer this person? Is there healing of painful memory? Does gospel have an answer for healing of painful memory? And if yes, if answer is yes, How does it work? Well, let us look at an Old Testament narrative, a great story from the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph. Most of you here have read this story multiple times in the book of Genesis, so I'm going to go quickly through the narrative and then draw some lessons that we can learn from it. The first one is sold in Slavery, Genesis chapter 37. Joseph was Patriarch Jacob's 11th son. He was loved by his father very much, more than his other brothers. Jacob had made a special multicolored coat for his son Joseph, and this made his brothers very jealous, and they hated Joseph. Then one day, Joseph had this dream, and he goes and tells them, In that dream, he said he saw his brothers bowing down to him. Even his father, they even hated him more for that. And one day, then, Joseph, Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers. He said, they're up north, tending the flock. Please go and find out how they're doing. And so I wanna read this one passage from chapter 37. So Joseph is going up north to visit his brothers. Genesis 37, 18 to 21. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal had devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. Well, ultimately, they decided not to kill him, but they sold him to the Midianites, and Midianites sold him to the Egyptians, particularly to Pharaoh, Potiphar in Egypt. So now Joseph is in Egypt at Potiphar's house. Then the story continues. Joseph raises to power, Genesis 37 to 41. Joseph prospered in Egypt, we read in chapter 39. In chapter 39, five times we read about Lord was with Joseph. Lord was with Joseph. This shows Joseph's relationship with the Lord. He followed the Lord. I can see that he must have learned from his father about the Lord as a young boy. Well, one day, the story as the story goes, he was falsely accused by Potiphar, his boss's wife, and put him in a prison and stayed there for over 2 years. In the prison, he interpreted a dream. We read about that in the story of a baker and a pharaoh's cupbearer. And later on, when Pharaoh hears about this, he calls him to interpret his dream. About and Joseph interprets this pharaoh's dream about the seven years of plenty and seven years of famine in that part of the world. Joseph gave credit to God, saying, "This interpretation belongs to God." So I see Joseph trusting God and walking with him. He was then promoted to be a governor of Egypt. A second in command after Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? He said, we need to have this man taking care of the affairs here. So let's read this passage, Genesis 41, 50 to 52. That's quite important. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Eseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. This actually means one who causes to be forgotten. One who causes to be forgotten. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardships, and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He gave meaningful names to both of his sons. Did Joseph really forget all his hardship? Did he? Did he forget his father's house? We will see as the story continues. The third part of the story, Joseph meets his brothers face to face, Genesis 42. According to Joseph's interpretation, after seven years of plenty, now there was severe famine in the land. I'm going really quickly through the story. Jacob, so Jacob sends his ten sons, keeps Benjamin there, well, Joseph was gone, to go to Egypt and buy grain because they heard that there is grain sold in Egypt. After many years now, Joseph came face to face with his brothers. So let's read some verses from chapter 42, 7 to 11. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you're spies. You have come to seek the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do, do this and you'll live. For I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you, where you are in custody. And let the rest go and carry the grain for the, famine, for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest son to me. Next time you come for grain, you've got to bring Benjamin. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, listen to this. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. In that, we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you guys, you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now here comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them. For there was an interpreter between them. Joseph knew the language, but he still pretended he didn't know, so he had an interpreter. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he turned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from there, bound him, and kept Simeon with them. Joseph's memory returned. He remembered his brothers. He remembered his father's household. He remembered his dreams and the hardship that followed all in just a few seconds. He said, God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. He sees his brothers and all the memory comes flooding back to his memory that followed in just a few seconds. Same thing happened to his brothers. Their memory surfaced. They could still see Joseph in the pit begging for his life. After all this year they had not forgotten. It was ingrained in them. Well then the brothers returned to their home with the grain and the story continues. The next in the stories, well the brothers after they ran out of food they had to come back to Egypt. Chapters 43 and 44. Jacob and family obviously ran out of grain and they had to return to Egypt to buy more grain. But they had to Take Benjamin with them. Joseph had made it clear. Next time you come, you have to bring Benjamin. With much hesitation, Jacob allowed Benjamin to go with them. And here they meet Joseph again. And these are the words we read in chapter 43, verse 29. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. His mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? He said, is this... maybe pointing at him. Be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then brothers were invited to have a lavish dinner with Joseph. We read about that, their big meal. And then after that, they're returning back to their home. And again, Joseph is doing this to his brothers. His, he asked his people to put his special cup, cup of divination, whatever that was for, was placed in Benjamin's sack. Why is Joseph doing all this to his brothers? Well, they were on their way home, but then they're called back to Joseph and they were harshly treated again, once again. And then he says, Benjamin will have to stay back he said, if you want to go back and with your grain, you can. But now Simeon is already here. Benjamin will have to stay. You can go. And Judah pleaded with, with Joseph because he had promised his father, please let us take Benjamin. I promise I'll bring him back. So here's what we did in chapter 44. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear and let not your anger burn against your servant for you're like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a young brother, that's Benjamin, the child of his old and his brother is dead. Joseph, Just listen. oh okay. And he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. The brothers remembered Joseph. They thought he was dead, but their memory came of him. And the story continues with this part that's the title of our sermon. An embrace of grace. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. This is our key passage for this morning. And this was read earlier Here we read about Joseph revealing his identity, who he is. I want to read two passages from this chapter, 45, 5 to 8. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and keep you alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And then 45, 14 and 15. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. Are you seeing that? How many times? Just wept, wept. Wept. Six times in this chapter he weeps. Joseph wept. Compare that with Jesus wept, Luke nineteen over Jerusalem and John eleven, when Lazarus says Jesus wept. I'm trying to compare this. His weeping and Joseph's, but that you're gonna have to invite me again for that sermon. Okay, so it <laughs> talked with him and And fell upon his Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. One by one, starting with Benjamin. Just visualize this. Weeping, an embrace of grace, reaching out to his brothers. In chapter 46, we're not going to go there. He embraces his father as well. In chapter 46 verse 29 Joseph gives him a hug and he weeps. So with this story it continues, chapter 50 has some really another angle to the story but don't wanna go there because there are three lessons that I wanna draw out from this part of life of Joseph. There are many lessons we can learn from this but I will highlight three and when we hold them together, They teach us some invaluable lessons about the gospel. So these are the three lessons from this story. Joseph giving an embrace of grace to his brothers. First one is healing of memory. Healing of memories in an embrace of grace. Healing of memory in embrace of grace. I could have called it embrace of forgiveness, embrace of love, but we are in the season of grace here so That actually works really well for me. Here in the story of Joseph, finally the healing process began in an embrace of grace for Joseph and his brothers and their father. Yes, there is solution for healing of painful and sinful memories in God's embrace of grace and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does it happen? Can we ever forget past, especially painful and sinful past? Can perpetrators forget their painful memories? Can victims, I've been to Cambodia four times and talked to a lot of people on both sides, victims that they, their families were dragged out of home. One guy that I, we work with there He said when he was eight years old, his father was dragged out of his home during Khmer Rouge, 75 to 79 in Cambodia. Uh, 25% of the population of that country was killed. Killing fields is the story. I've seen that uh, field actually in Cambodia. And so there are a lot of victims there and they still remember this. Young people, they're in their 50s and 60s now. But here's the perpetrators. In a church, there was an elder about 62 years old. And he says, crying, he said, I was 16 years old. I had no choice but to join Khmer Rouge. It it was force upon me and we were trained and we were asked to kill people and he said, I don't wanna even tell you what I've done to little children, how I've killed people. And he says, I wake up at night weeping. Does gospel have an answer for his painful memories? He said he found that when he came to know Jesus he was embraced by Jesus, but not that's not enough. He was embraced by people of Jesus in the church he joined. And it's, that's only time my memories were healed, or at least the process began. So, yes, what needs to happen in healing of memory is the removal, if I may use this phrase, the sting of memory. I borrowed this phrase, it's not original, from Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin. When the sin is forgiven, when the sin is removed, the death has no longer then hold over us. You know the sting, sting of death, sting of memory. Joseph remembered his past. Although he says in chapter 41, by naming his firstborn Manasseh, God has made me forget. He did not forget because the sting remained. Same for his brothers, they had their memory intact. They thought the life was going on. It was there, it had to be dealt with. Joseph and his brothers needed kind of forgetting that remembers yet forgets. Does it make sense? God remembering and forgetting are held together. Once the sting in memory is removed, we remember, the memories remember, but it no longer hurts, it no longer holds grudges, it no longer carries bitterness, it no longer seeks revenge. I have some memories, but it does not hurt. It does not make me sad because the sting is removed in an embrace of Jesus. The memories The poison in our heart has to be removed. The memories of the past had to surface for Joseph and his brothers. All that was hidden memories, it needed to be dealt with. God orchestrated circumstances to bring them face to face to see what they would do, especially Joseph the victim. What would Joseph do? Would he lock them up? Would he have them executed? especially Joseph, they all experienced healing when Joseph extended an embrace of grace, embrace of forgiveness, embrace of love. Joseph, the victim, needed healing as much as the perpetrators, his brothers. Joseph needed this. He really, really needed this for himself. There would have been no healing for Joseph without an embrace of grace. So my friend in parchment, who told us when we were there once and he said that never day de- never goes by a day where I don't remember the day when I pulled that trigger. And I remember Ken was with me and I believe Rich Lewis was with us and we were sitting in this big uh, basketball gym, round tables, four or five chairs, 60, 70, 80 tables maybe in there, and people would come, families, we gather around them. So Ken and I and Rich, we got there, we sat at the table in parchment and the cap was brought. And every time, this is our routine, as soon as it would come, we would say nothing. We'd just hug him. And hugging is in the southern culture, but 15, 20, 30 seconds just remaining and Cap would just not let us go. Something special there. And we sat down and we were talking and I don't know what we were talking about but we were laughing and carrying on and having such a good time. It was so loud that everyone was looking at us. It's just like, do you know where you are? This is not the place where you can be happy. You cannot be enjoying life here and laughing. This is parchment. And even the police had probably thought that. Something that Cap said that day I'll never forget. He says, Pradeep and all of us, I feel free when you visit me. He said, I experience, now I'm putting words in it. This is what he was saying. The freedom that gospel offers, the love and forgiveness that gospel offers. Yet, yes, I've experienced that in an embrace of Jesus, but I needed more than that. I needed his people to come here and give me a hug. They need that. They needed that. Joseph needed that, his brothers needed that. Oh boy, okay. Restoration of relationship. Some churches in India, sermons are hour and a half, so I'm just kinda (laughs) using Restoration of relationship. Joseph had experienced God's embrace and his grace. Joseph was willing to embark on a difficult journey of reconciliation with his brothers. First, Isis sat on them. Joseph, the way we read this story, I think that he was on a journey to reconciliation. Difficult journey of reconciliation with his brother who left him to die, then sold him in slavery. His journey of reconciliation entailed a good deal of remembering for him and for his brother. Painful memories and ha- happy memories of his house. Joseph himself was reminded of the suffering his brother had had inflicted on him, and harshly yet powerfully, Joseph reminded them of their painful memory. Joseph was ready and willing to embrace his brothers because he had experienced God's embrace. Only then, when he had experienced God's embrace, he was ready to extend his arms of grace towards his brothers. Relationships are restored when we extend our arms of grace towards others. Yes, they need Jesus' arms first, but they need ours as well. In an embrace of grace, there is restoration. We see here Joseph, a victim, the one who was wronged, the offended one, the wronged one, took initiative to embrace. Who do you remember? Jesus. Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Restoration in relationship required grace, forgiveness, and love. Luke 15, terrific story. The prodigal son found healing and restored relationship with his father in an embrace of grace. No Future Without Forgiveness, few minutes now. This title is borrowed, again, from this book by Desmond Tutu, Bishop Desmond Tutu. He died 2021, last year. Uh, taken from his book published in 1999 off his account of TRC Truth and Reconciliation Commission, an amazing story of transition in South Africa post-apartheid for 50 years and when the 94, Dr. Nelson Mandela was freed and the election and he became the president. What were we going to do with so many perpetrators and so many victims in this country? And he writes this book about that. It was a somewhat successful story. It's, it's a fascinating story. You need to read that. There's several such stories in Yugoslavia, Hutus and Tutsis and similar stories are written about reconciliation all from the gospel perspective, very powerful. In this book, Bishop Tudu argues there was no future without forgiveness in South Africa. Without forgiveness, there would be no reconciliation, he says. Let me just, instead of summarizing, I'll read a few quotes from this book, if you don't mind. Page 260, I have a marker here, yes. He was invited in Rwanda to speak to Christian leaders about their experiences in South Africa of truth and reconciliation. I said to the Christian leaders there in Rwanda, there was talk about tribunals because people did not want to tolerate allowing the criminals to escape punishment. But what I feared was that if written retributive justice was the last word in their situation, then Rwanda had had it. Retribution, if that's what you want, you're done. Most Hutu would feel they had been found guilty, not because they were guilty, but because they were Hutus. And they would wait for the day when they would be able to take revenge. Then they would pay back the Tutsi for the horrendous prison condition which they had been held. And here's the key verse, I told them, he says the Christian leaders there, that the cycle of repraisal and counter-repraisal that had characterized their national history had to be broken and that the only way to do this was to go beyond retributive justice to restorative justice. To move on to forgiveness because without it there was no future. For Rwanda, no future for Rwanda. So he said there is no. And then here, about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean condoning what has been done. It means taking what happened seriously and not minimizing it. Drawing out the sting in the memory that threatens to poison our entire existence. Forgiveness and embrace of grace removes that sting of memory. And here, forgiving means abandoning your rights to pay back the perpetrators his own coin. But it is a loss that liberates the victim. In the commission, we heard people, and there are so many stories in this book, of a sense of relief after forgiving. The victims faced their perpetrators and heard who read the stories of how their parents and others were killed. Then they forgave each other and cried. There are some amazing stories. And a lot of victims, they said, I just felt freedom after extending grace and forgiving. Does the victim depend on culprits, contrition and confession as the precondition for being able to forgive? There is no question that, of course, such a confession is a great help to the one who wants to forgive. But it is not absolutely indispensable. Jesus did not wait until those who were nailing him to the cross had asked for forgiveness. He was ready as they drove nails, they drove in the nails to pray to his father to forgive them. And he even provided an excuse for what they were doing for them. If the victim could forgive only when the culprit confessed, then the victim would be locked into culprits whim, locked into victimhood. There is no future, he says, without, without forgiveness. And that's where it is a powerful, powerful story of life of Joseph. It teaches us how to deal with painful memories, how to restore relationships, and how powerful Powerful forgiveness is on the part of the victims that we are wronged and we reach out to people. What what are we gonna do in our world? What about Russia and Ukraine? I was at a prayer meeting with our organization not too long ago and a Russian leader and a Ukrainian leader were sharing prayer requests on the stage, weeping and hugging each other and seeking forgiveness. I've seen Uyghurs believers and Chinese, because I've met them, meeting at a prayer meeting with the gospel. What about India and Pakistan, China and Taiwan, Israel and Palestine? What about our own country and race relationship? What is our future? Is there future without forgiveness? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ provides solution to our problems. Yes, people need God's gracious forgiving embrace, but they need ours as well. They need ours. We need to extend our hearts. There is no future without forgiveness, brothers and sisters. And there is no future without an embrace of grace.